0: glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to make a case or encourage us with this uh, claim that faith in the Trinity drives us together as a community who takes weekly communion. So it's our faith, our belief in the Trinity that drives us together to weekly meals of Eucharist. I'll have to take a bit of a journey to persuade us of that. If you're following this along with the readings, the readings for today are Psalm 29, uh, Exodus 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, uh, Romans 8, 12 to 27, and then John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now, the reason I make this claim is because it has been observed that American church is all about Jesus which is a good thing, right? Jesus is the source of salvation. He is the word from God. But the American church has this tendency to individualism, to the sentimental, to the simple. And so we have this simple Jesus in place of a more complex trinity. And so we, we um, create and we encourage a kind of individualism and simplicity in the way that we worship. But I'm calling us into a recovery of trinity, of a full orbed sense of god it's interesting i think i was uh, reading this week the catholic and lutheran liturgy so when they come together for mass or for eucharist begin as like this in the name of god the father and the son and the holy spirit the anglican liturgy which we have has as its acclamation an option to say glory be to god the father and the son and the holy spirit um, it's an option I should have um, implemented long ago just simple short sights on my own part but all three of these historic ancient ancient going back uh, well over a thousand years these liturgies begin with a Trinitarian formula it sets this whole mass this whole way of coming before God underneath Father Son and Holy Spirit and so what I'm doing in the last few weeks is trying to call for renewal of Trinitarian theology a deepening of our Trinitarian theology. And so if you go back to the last two weeks, the Feast of the Ascension, and then the last week, the Feast of Pentecost, I talked chiefly about the Trinity itself, about God and his eternal relations, Father, Son, and Spirit. And I'll summarize those briefly and then move on, but we could summarize them this way. Uh, The Father created, the Son saved, and the Spirit sanctifies Uh, Our gospel today, John 3, 1 through 17, uh, God so loved the world that he sent his Son. There's the Father sending the Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. And who believes in the Son? Jesus tells Nicodemus in the passage, those born of the Spirit. You see, the whole Trinitarian formula of salvation, the Father's will, the work of the Son, and the sanctifying and sealing of the Holy Spirit seals our faith. Or we could say it this way, it's the Father who is reconciled, the Son who reconciles, and the Spirit who is the gift on the church, who makes them friends with the Trinity. That goes back last week and the week before, the Spirit makes us friends. This is an ancient doctrine, with God, I no longer call you servants, but friends. So this Spirit brings us already into community, and so this theme that I'm trying to emphasize is it's, Faith in the Trinity brings us before weekly communion together. I'll make that with three fairly brief points. Um, A family, a meal, and a habit. That's what the Trinity does for us. A family, a meal, and a habit. Uh, First, a family. Paul, in Romans 8, in our reading, says, It is the Holy Spirit within us that leads us to cry out, Abba, Father. And we are children of God. So our children, our status as family is childhood. Under the Father, in union with the Son, by the power of the Spirit within us. Hopefully you can see how overwhelmingly powerful the nature of the Trinity is and significant to us. Right there in Romans 8, you have all three, the Spirit within us groaning, as we wait for our full adoption as sons well how do we become sons of the father well through the union of christ who became flesh and our faith in him is through the spirit who indwells us we're a family family is that great metaphor there's other metaphors the church is a temple it's a tribe it's a it's the new israel but family's very much at the heart of it because it's closest to those relations between the father and the son and the spirit We're made family as a people, and a people among the Trinity. It's such a beautiful, mysterious dynamic. But that's what God's doing, is shaping a family out of us. Hebrews 13, verse one, short statement, the writer says, let brotherly love continue. Uh, The word brotherly love in the Greek there is quite literally, Philadelphia brotherly love it is family love think of the proximity of a family this is why the metaphor is so powerful it's not my friend down the street who i can call there's an inconvenience to proximity but also a dearness the the family is close we gather we share meals we share chores we're dependent on one another there's a special loyalty that arises from family and so In the Trinity, we're made into a new family of every tribe and tongue and family and race. We become one in family. And that family is a gathering family. Let brotherly love continue. If we go back to just a couple chapters in Hebrews, the writer says, Do not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. But continue all the more encouraging one another as you see the day drawing near. What is the work of a family but to be near, to gather as one, to encourage one another and not have bad habits of not gathering. So this family that we become in faith by the Spirit is conditioned, it's identified by its gathering. So that's two, a family, a meal. It's the meal that most effectively gathers us. Um, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, we read this last week, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to speak in their own and hear in their own language. And they began to believe and thousands were added to them, to the number of the church. And it's a long chapter. If you go to the end, verses 44 to 47 at the end, Um, it comes there and Luke describes that new community, that new family this way. And they devoted themselves. Now get that. Devoted. This is like worship is is the word at the root of this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, like brotherly love, sharing things, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. The meal is the thing that gathers the community. And you can see, perhaps, how I'm driving through this. Faith in the Trinity creates a family that gathers weekly for breaking of bread. It is a meal. It is a feast. It is a sharing of the goods of creation in our midst. In the Eucharist prayer, so each week as we gather, and as we're able now to gather again, there's a moment where I lay my hands over the bread and the wine and I say, hear us, merciful Father. So it's a Trinitarian formula called the epiclesis, the calling of the Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, grant that we who eat this bread and drink this wine may be partakers of his blessed body and blood. Father, in your mercy, send the power of your Spirit to make us one with Jesus, brothers and sisters. It's in that Eucharistic meal that we come together as family, as one, in that beautiful way. I once had a priest um, uh, instruct me to be careful where I put my hands in that blessing. And I was at first bothered by that, but he's not um, superstitious or some kind of magical thing is going to happen. You're communicating to the church the serious mystery of what happens when we break bread and drink wine. No, for Anglicans, the bread and the the wine don't change into anything, but they do take on the spiritual presence of Christ that comes into us and transforms us. Why break bread together? Let me suggest four reasons why the meal is so important to gather. First of all, when we break bread, right there in that prayer, we become partakers of his blessed body and blood. We become one with God in the eating of the meal. That's our destination as human beings, to become like God, to become divine, partakers of the divine nature, as Peter says. Or as John says, that we become like the one like Jesus, who we will see him and know him because we will be like him. To take in that meal is to be reconciled to God, or is to become like and more like God. But second, in the meal, I'm to be reconciled to my neighbor. Just before I start that prayer, I call us into a moment of peace. Because, as Jesus says, before you bring your offering to the table, and you have something against your brother, go and make peace, and then come back and make your offering. Now, the people we may have wronged or be, have been wronged by may not be in a congregation, but it is still symbolic that at that moment, before we take bread and wine, we commit ourselves to reconciliation. Uh, there's a Yale professor named Miroslav Volf, many of you will know, and he writes out of um, the 1980s, Now he's written a book recently, several books about his um, life in the 1980s. He was born in, um, in modern-day Yugoslavia. And he lived through um, the ethnic um, division and brutality and war. And he himself found himself accused as an enemy of the state when he was conscripted to the army and he suffered. And he writes about ethnic division, racial division today. And he suggests that the solution does not lie in the machinations of the efforts of the society. The only place reconciliation happens in humanity truly is at the Eucharist. He's driving it there. There's no way for nations and for people to be healed without a sacrificial meal like this. You see, because when we come before the Father as the oppressed and the oppressor, we find and meet the one who was wrongly accused in order that we might be one with him. And it's there that we're reconciled. And may go out back into the world and work for justice, which we must do. But the reconciliation only truly happens in that Eucharistic meal where Christ unites us. So it unites us with God. It reconciles us with one another. The the meal reminds us of contentment and gratitude. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 when he's in the desert. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. we come for weekly eucharist we remember that all these things were piling up in our lives the excesses of food and drink and possessions are inadequate to make us happy the meal reminds us of that and fourth the meal reminds me of my neighbor's need i meet all kinds of people when i come before the table and i see their state in life i see their need i see their right to daily bread, just as I do. If you know, in First Corinthians, Paul is accusing the wealthy Corinthians for gathering and closing the doors of communion and then leaving for the poor to come in later. See, they are neglecting the very thing the meal does, which is to bring all kinds of people together so we discern one another's needs. A family gathering around a meal with a habit. That's that um, verse I quoted from Hebrews ten twenty four. Do not cease gathering as is the habit of some. My concern, the concern of many, is that as we exit this season of COVID, that we'll be in the habit of Zooming from our uh, living room couch, that worship service. But think of that community I mentioned in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. It has to be habituated if we're gonna become a family. Think about it, we're, no church is ever a perfect church. It's always on the way. We're um, being sanctified, we're becoming something. Sometimes we put extraordinary demands on a local church to be perfect. It's always becoming church, and it has to do so by habit. If the statistics are right, um, People go to church twice a month today. And could you imagine becoming a baseball player, a singer, a musician, a chef, a scientist with two days, two hours a week of practice? And yet there's something about our own expectations that seem to suggest that. Now I will be the very first to suggest to you that I like Zoom church. Man, I can get up, I don't have to worry about chairs, I don't have to worry about all kinds of things and communion and Zoom. And I could just sit there and worship God. But you see, what we've neglected is the practicing of family. And without practicing the habit of family, we'll never become one. You know, the the gathering together is inconvenient. But when we gather together in habit, I also have to meet people across social and ethnic and political lines. I have to hear and be attentive to other people's suffering and needs. I have to um, get out of my own rhythms of life and attend and think about the rhythms and lives of others. I have to serve and not merely to be served. To be the church, the family of God, you can see, requires a commitment to a family, to a meal, and to a habit. I'll close. If any of you are interested in Psalm twenty-nine and thinking it needs some address here in this psalm, and it kind of goes with Exodus three, the glorification of God in His Trinitarian form, and Psalm twenty-nine is a hymn of praise. Um, Ascribe to the Lord, give to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the the glory due His name. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Right, this nine ten verses of hymnic praise. But I want to just come in closing to the last only prayer in the psalm. Give to your people strength and give to your people peace. Strength and peace. Now, um, erase from your minds our maybe American idea of peace as quiet. You know, like children in a room. Everybody be peaceful. Don't do anything. But the peace in that Hebraic sense meant wholeness and fullness. It meant Um, uh, rightness and ordering, harmony. And so the prayer of the psalmist is a city of strength, not a quiet city, a busy city, but one of harmony. It is a city of gathering around meals, of family that provide needs, that unite us as a community and unite us with God. May we pray with the psalmist as we think about committing ourselves to the church, And to him of this meal, and ask God to give us strength and to give us.